0: Our reading this morning comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 27, a psalm of David. This is God's Word. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I see. Hide not your face from me, and turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Father, as we've heard your word read now, we come before you and we ask you to take these words and as we expound on them together, we pray that you would meet us in them and that you would show yourself as you have done so many times before to be present among us and to be worthy of our trust. We want to know that in a new and fresh way today. We want you to speak to us to confirm our hearts because you know that we are forgetful and that we are doubters by nature. We are suspicious. And we want to be able to see who you are and what it is that you've done so that we can trust in your promises and live in a calm confidence that is resting in you. Lord, for that to happen, you've got to send your Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to reveal your word to us, to make it known to our hearts that we might be able to relax into your arms and feel the sleep and the rest that comes from you. So be patient with us as we wait on you, but meet us in this place. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Boy, I love this psalm. Psalm 27. These are great words. Boy, some of these lines in this psalm you know quite well, don't you? They're pretty familiar lines. You might not have been able to know where they came from if I'd asked at the beginning of the service. But I could have quoted a few lines. You go, I know that one. Yeah, I know that one. I've heard that one somewhere before. Where is that? Oh, that's in Psalm 27. Yeah, several of these lines. These are, these are well-known lines. Beautiful words that David gives us. I was reading them earlier this week, and I was like, man, I love this psalm. It's just a great psalm. And I began to pray through the psalm, and, and part of my prayers were, Lord, I would really like to say this psalm and believe it (laughs) I'd really like to be able to do that more and more and increasingly in in my life I don't know if you experience this when you come into worship but there's regularly what I would call a dissonance that's a part of the nature of worship it's a holy dissonance and it begins to move over the course of the service by God's grace into a glorious harmony okay the dissonance is the words that you sing and the words that we read and the words that are preached are like, yeah, I'm not really there. You ever feel that? Feel that in the midst of worship? Totally. Like you're singing the words and you're like, that's true. Like it's true. Um, and I really want to feel that. I really want to believe that. I really want to live by it. There's a dissonance, right? And then over the course of the worship service, what often happens by God's grace? is all of that beautiful truth playing out of the cord with actually where you are in the strange cacophony of noise becomes this symphonic harmony. Because the glory of the gospel and the power of the work of the Holy Spirit begins to change you and me on the spot in this place. And it brings a closeness and a sense of resolution between ourselves and the lord and as i was praying through this psalm this week i said lord i want i want this to be more true i want there to be less dissonance between this psalm and, and my heart and i wanted there to be more certainty the kind of certainty that i hear when we hear these words the lord is my light my salvation whom shall i fear i'd love to love to be able to say that with integrity the lord is the stronghold of my life whom shall i be afraid and I think whether you're a Christian or not here this morning, there's the, here's the reality of, of this. When you hear someone speak with that kind of resolve and that kind of staid, rock-solid confidence, you think, I like that. I wish I had that. Right? Whether you're a Christian or not, it's, a, it's, a, it's attractive to you. It's beautiful to you. Someone who, who lives in a staid and steady place, who's not pushed to and fro, is not unstable like a double-minded man as James speaks about, but someone who asks of the Lord and rests in the Lord. It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to us and it's something that we want. And the realization is it's rarely our experience. Isn't that true? It's just rarely our experience. You get it for like, you know, the five to 10 seconds on Sunday morning. And then it's like, oh yeah, that's awesome. And then like, you got to take your kids to Sunday school and you're like, totally forget it, right? Because you have a fight with them on the way to Sunday school and all of a sudden, like all that truth, just gets shook out of you. Just really easily by the bumps and the passageways of life. What would it be like for Psalm 27 to be more the rule than the exception of our lives. To live by this kind of steady trust, as David is, in life. Well, I wish I could overturn every single thing about this psalm. The realization is it's too rich and there's too much to be able to talk about everything. So I want to try to be as practical as I possibly can, and that's a a hope of this Series, in fact, this summer, this Finding Our Way to God series over the summer, we want to actually assist ourselves in better understanding how to commune with the Lord to do so prayerfully, but to do so with pursuit. What does it mean to find our way to the Lord over and over and over again? Because here's what happens. We get lost a lot. And a key component of this in this series is taking a topic each week and focusing on that. And a key one of those is trust. A key one of those is trust. Learning to trust in the Lord. And so I just want to ask two simple questions, and we're going to kind of bounce around a little bit through this psalm and I'll pull in some other things, but I want to be very practical as much as possible during this series, and we'll try to do that today. And so I want to ask some practical questions. Why is it that we're so afraid? Why is it that we're so afraid? And how can we learn to trust God? Those are the two things I want to ask. Why is it we're so afraid? And how can we learn to trust God? Now let, let's be honest, when you hear a phrase like this, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold, of whom shall I be afraid? It would be very easy to go, yeah, David doesn't know much about my life. He's like most preachers. He's totally out of touch with things. Like he's just sort of hovering above the fray. And he's not, he doesn't really understand that I've got mouths to feed and kids to clothe and a mortgage to pay and a 401k to fund somehow or another. He doesn't understand that I had a knockdown, down drag-out with my husband last night and I'm coming in on Sunday morning and I'm wondering, is my marriage going to survive? Because we've done that over and over and over again. He, he doesn't understand that I stay awake at night and I stare at the ceiling and I wonder if I'm ever going to be married. Um, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't get that there's a downsize in the company and we know people are on the chopping block and we yet had not gotten the names of who they are and we're afraid it's me. Right? It's very easy, you see, in the abstract to go, the Lord is my light, my salvation. It's, it's easy on Sunday morning, right? It's hard the rest of the week. I mean, sometimes you want to say, what do you mean I'd be afraid? What do you mean my light is, the Lord is my light and he is my salvation? My life is teetering it's tottering what am i supposed to do what am i am i just not supposed to care you know you preacher types are going to tell me you know just you know trust god and don't don't worry you know god's all you need and you're like yeah (laughs) right but this is this is my life look at my life it's 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 crazy am i just not supposed to care about these things well well, let me ask you does god care about your finances and your job yeah he does He has lots of things to say about it in the word. Does he care about your marriage? You better believe he does. Does he care about what's going on with your children? Critically so. He has many, many words to speak on these matters in our lives. He doesn't call us to not care about these things. In fact, if if we try to fight our anxiety by acting like these things are not important, it'll just exacerbate the problem, to be quite honest. You ever done that before? Like just, I'm just going to quit worrying about that. Okay, I'm going to worry about that. I mean, that's exactly what happens. You can't put it out of your mind. your mind. Your heart just naturally gravitates to it. You can't just stuff it. How is it that we really deal with these important things that cause us a tremendous amount of worry? Because they are important things. They're important things. How do we deal with them? Well, I want to make a suggestion that we fight fear and we fight worry and we fight anxiety by focusing on the most important thing, a thing that is absolutely certain, completely certain. You want certainty? okay? If, if I was a traveling salesman and I had a mutual fund for you to invest in and I could guarantee you a certain percentage over a period of time, absolute certainty, would you invest in it? You better believe you would. Well, I actually have something a lot better than that. There's something more important and more certain that we have to be invested in, that we've got to make the center to able to deal with the other things that are important in our lives, but are uncertain. We don't know how they're going to go. Because here's the, here's the realization. I mean, some of you think, well, how, what if I get fired? You might. You might. I I can't guarantee that you're not going to lose your job. I can't guarantee that your children are going to turn out the way that you've dreamed. In fact, some of you know that they don't turn out the way that you've dreamed. And despite the parenting philosophy that you bought into, it didn't necessarily work with everybody in the same way. And you're really disillusioned by that. How How do you face that and the anxiety and the worry of that and the uncertainty of it not being able to be in control. will you do it by having something that is more certain, more important, that orders everything else by its light. Orders everything else by its light. Now, what I'm actually talking about is what sometimes philosophers or even, even business folks talk about it this way uh, today. That it's, it's an organizing principle for life. It's an organizing principle for life. What is an organizing principle? Well, it's, it's a core belief or a central commitment that when it is believed, it begins to order everything else that's in relationship to it. You see, I would argue that that's what's happening in worship each week as we gather together, as we work through the liturgy, and as you hear the Word proclaimed, what happens is the thing that is most essential, the thing that is most important, the thing that is most glorious, the thing that is most certain, all of a sudden again and afresh dawns on you. I'm astonished as a preacher, and I'm astonished about this in my own heart. Do you realize every single week you come here and I have nothing new to say? It, I, mean, do you, I mean, some of you are very aware of this, right? I understand, I understand. But you, I don't know if it's you or it's me, but you keep coming back. So I'm not really sure, you know, it's either, it's either not getting through to you or there's something in this message that has nothing to do with me and nothing to do with the scatter. It has to do that you need to be reminded and brought back to the one thing that's most important. Okay? Now, what we realize is that David is not out of touch in here. I mean, I mean, listen to this. I mean, let's think of David's own life here. Is, is he skipping across the top? You know, is he sort of like, you know, don't worry, be happy? You know, is he passing out Iqbal bumper stickers, you know? It's going to be okay. Is that, what he, is that what he's doing? No, no, no. It's not what he's doing. Think of David's life. David was like nationally manhunted by Saul, and what possibly is reflecting on that in Psalm 27. Did everything go well in his kingship? Do you recall if David had any marriage issues? Does anybody, anybody recall if there were any marriage issues in David's life? Did his children all turn out okay? No. Okay, so David knows some issues. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. This is a man who's not on his high horse that says, Hey, I got it together. Do it just like me. Work. He is a man who is speaking out of the throes of difficulties, But in this particular context, look at the way he describes it. He's got a bullseye on his back, verse 2. Though evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. Though an army encamp against me, verse 3. Though war rises against me, verse 3. Though, verse 12, false witnesses are against me, breathing violence. Uh, verse, um, again in verse 12, uh, verse 10, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, even those most closest to him have abandoned him. Now, if we're honest with ourselves and we begin to look over this list and we think about David's life and we begin going, okay, David wins, right? He, he, his fears are much greater than mine. You know, I was just really worried my kids didn't make honor roll, but when you think about the evildoers eating my flesh, that wins. It kind of wins every day. So David kind of has. He understands this. He trumps it. And the, real, the reason that he brings this up, and we realize that he's done this, even when we see that David's worries trump our worries in many cases, it's still not going to stop us from worrying. And, and, the, and the reason is we worry when anything that's important to us is threatened. When anything that's important to us is threatened, you want to know where worry comes from? It comes from that. When anything that's important to us is in some way threatened. And let me just take it a step further. The degree of worry or fear that you feel, okay, will be parallel to how important that thing is and how great you feel the threat to be. Okay? So the measure of how much anxiety or fear work will be to the degree of how important you think that thing is and to the degree to which it is, is threatened. So you might have a little worry about something over here, or a little fear about this over there because it's, it's marginal in its importance or its threat seems out, an outlier for you. But if something seems more serious and the thing is more valuable to you, the degree of that fear and anxiety can go up to such degree that many of us in this room have felt the paralysis of that. That we can't even operate it. Some of us have not gotten out of the bed. I bet some of us have been hospitalized. Some of us are on regular medication because of this kind of struggle. Isn't that right? Okay, so this is what's going on. So to put it in the context of David's, David's story here in Psalm 27, David will be as fearful as what's important to him is threatened. David will be as fearful as what's important to him is threatened. And that's the same for you, whatever it is. But listen, here's where faith comes in, and this is where David's taking us. If David values something more than all of life, and that one thing is more certain than anything else in life, then David and you will begin to experience the calm confidence of trust in God, okay? Does that make sense? If something's more important, and we could put it this way, something's more beautiful to you. Isn't that the way David puts it? I love it here in, song, in this psalm. Verse 4, he says, One thing I've asked of the Lord. Now, I want you to think of this, okay? Just, just consider it in context. The first three verses have been armies or gathering around me enemies are assailing me one thing I ask of the Lord and you think protection (laughs) like bring me an army like give me armament swords Lord rain them from heaven if need be like that's how we would begin to pray is that what he asked for no he asks for God himself why because that's what he values That's what he he values. The armies and camps around me, I will trust in you. I will have confidence in you. One thing I ask of you in the midst of this great turmoil is that I would dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that I would gaze on the beauty of the Lord. That I would inquire in this temple, that word inquires, to meditate. You see, that's what you're doing this morning. You're inquiring in the temple of the Lord. You came here and you had questions on your mind and your heart, just like I did. And we desperately needed to meet the Lord. We're inquiring in His temple. And what do we want to do? We want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. We, what do we want to experience? The dwelling of God with us to bring everything back to its sanity in our life, because for one moment we see the thing most beautiful, the thing most important, the thing most certain, and all of a sudden everything else in our lives instantly is reordered. When God, by His grace, begins to dawn that upon our hearts and our minds. Now, this is the reality of where it is that David is, is taking us, and, and Jesus helps us in this. Jesus helps us in this because He helps us identify. Why it is that we're afraid? And if we were to jump over to Matthew chapter six, a passage that you know quite well—it's the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says says this in verse 24, and I want you to just look at this because you need to understand the kind of the anatomy of how worry and fear works, so that you can get at it with faith. He says, verse um, verse 24, Matthew six: No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Now, why do I go to this passage? Well, largely because he says you can only really genuinely, at the end of the day, you only have one prayer to pray. Because you only have one thing that you're ultimately committed to. You see, the, the, the Christian life is incredibly simple. It's just not easy. It's incredibly simple. It's not like you have competing interests. I mean, in the Christian life, we're not saying, oh, well, you know, you have this interest and that interest, you need to learn how... No, you're committed entirely and exclusively to the glory and the enjoying of God, entirely. From that, it begins to order and permeate the other important values that he's placed in, in life. It's very simple, it's very single-minded. One thing I've asked of the Lord, and, and here... Here, Jesus makes it very clear. You can't serve two masters. You're either going to love the one or you're going to hate the other. And what are these two masters? You cannot serve God and money. Now, the Greek word here is mammon. And some of you are old King James lovers, and that's exactly how it was actually translated. You cannot serve God or mammon. We could translate that you can't serve God or the world or the stuff of the world or everything in the world, even the good things. Even the good things in the world, you can't do both because you know what's going to happen? If you try to do both, they're going to war against each other. And and here's the here's the difficulty. Most of the challenge and the conflict of our lives come because we know what we ought to do, and we know that what we ought to do ought to be the thing that is beautiful to us, ought to be the thing that we love. But in reality, in our flesh, there's something else over here that we like more, and what we try to do is keep God and the world together. Can I get both? Can I, get, can I get God and mammon, not or? I don't like this either-or stuff. I know it's the wrong answer to just get the world, and I know it's the right answer to get God, but I'd really love to find a way to get both. And what happens is when you try to get both, you ultimately always sacrifice one, whether you know it or not. Okay, this is Father's Day, right? All right, so Father says, you can visit, I'm totally devoted to my children, right? and using devoted because that's the word that Jesus uses here in Matthew 6. totally devoted to my children. But every time he's with his children, he's on his phone checking the sports scores. Right? Every time you see him. That's what he's doing or he's occupied with work or I'm devoted to my children. Over a period of time, would you believe that he's devoted to his children? Well, of course not. His choice reveals what he's really devoted to. We said this a couple of weeks ago. You want to know what you're devoted to? Look at your checkbook. Look at your calendar. Where do you spend your money? Where do you spend your time? Two most precious commodities that you got. The two things, humanly speaking, that are most important to you. Where is it going? And in that moment, we go, Oh, I'm trying to tip God and hold on to the world a little bit. And Jesus is saying, ultimately, at the end of this, you can't, you're going to choose. In fact, you are choosing. Isn't this the narrative of so many who, going back to fatherhood, of fathers who said, you know, I, I loved my children. I want to be devoted to my children. And then they send them off to college and they think of all of the times that they made different decisions rather than be with their children in the precious years of their life. And regret settles on them. And they have to stare the ugly monster in its face. And they have to realize that what I said with my lips wasn't true with my life. I, wasn't, I was trying to tell myself something that I knew wasn't true to cover up the reality. But let me tell you, everything in the end will out. Everything will. It all just, you know, Nathaniel Hawthorne said years ago, time is a babbler. It will tell you everything. He will tell you everything. Give it time. Give it time. It comes out in the end. It comes out in the end. Do you see, our devotion ultimately comes out. And what happens is when you try to pack in God and the world, you wind up having far too much to carry. You actually don't have the back for the load. I remember going hiking for the very first time. And when you go hiking for the very first time and you have no one really training you in going hiking for the very first time, you think of everything you might possibly need on the hike, and so you have contingency plan materials of A, B, and C plans, and you know if something goes wrong, if that happens, if you know if we get lost in the wilderness, we're going to need that, and all of these things. You wind up having a pack that weighs like 80 pounds, you know, because you've got everything that you could possibly need or want because you're fearful that something might go wrong. And I remember. In the back of my friend's station wagon as we're putting on our packs and realizing as I was doing this, after I put it on, that I was going to have to make some kind of change. And we begin to go through it. And you begin to what? Make decisions about what you're going to take. Oh, you've done this with your closet. Right? Oh, I might fit in that again. You know? We could possibly use that in 10 years. Put that back in the box. You know, that kind of decision. And you, you, you want everything. You want to keep it? Or, or you've got, it's a fisher cut bait moment. What are we going to take with us? What's really important? And what actually Jesus is saying in Matthew 6 is every moment is like that. Whether you know it or not. Every moment you're making a decision. What's worthwhile for me to take? Am I, am I like the Egyptians? That ultimately I want to be mummified and I want you to put all my gold inside because I think I'm going to take it with me to the to the land of the dead? Are we really living that way? Or or actually, would it be our joy to have left everything, almost as Christ would be, to be penniless if it meant I came into the glory of God? Okay, That's the question of this text. That's where it's pressing us in terms of our anxiety and worry. And I think the realization is we've packed way too much. We've got to learn to travel Light. And you see that when David says, one thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what he's focused on, I want you to see the confidence that begins to flow out of his veins. begins to flow out of his veins. Look at what he says in in verse 5. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of the trouble. Verse 5, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. Verse 5, he will lift me high upon the rock. Verse 6, my head shall be lifted up above my enemies. This is not a question to David. It's like, I really hope God protects me. No, it's not the the point. And you're thinking, well, David, you might die. But of course, that's not what David's talking about. When David says, will you hide me, he will hide me in the shelter in in my day of trouble. Do you realize, David realizes that whether he lives or dies, he's hidden in the shelter of the Lord. David realizes that whether he lives or dies, he's concealed under the cover of the tent. David realizes that whether he lives or dies, he is is lifted high upon the rock. Whether he lives or dies, he will be lifted up above his enemies. He he lives from the settled confidence of whether I lose my job or I don't, I will be vindicated. Uh, whether, Whether this happens or that happens, I will be provided for. I will be protected. I will be cared for. He lives from this settled place. In fact, he lives from this settled place. Because he knows the story of the Lord and he knows the deliverance of the Lord. You see, many scholars believe, and I think they're right, that in Psalm 27, David is reflecting upon the past deliverances of the Lord. He's he's operating on the past deliverances of the Lord. And he is looking back on the things that God has done in Israel's past and his own past. And he says, look how faithful God's been. Look at all the times I've doubted. Look at all the times I questioned his goodness. Look at all the times I wondered whether he was trustworthy or not. Look at how much he came through. Look at what he's taught me. Look at where it is that he's taken me. And as he looks on the the, the past deliverances of the Lord, he says, He will conceal me in his tent. He will set my feet upon the rock. I, I shall be lifted up above my enemies. Why? Because of God's past deliverances. How many times do you find yourself again in the throes of fear and anxiety and worry... And then someone comes to you in gracious love and says, hey, you know, you remember 10 years ago when you were at this place? And you remember what the Lord did? And they, they kind of force you to remember and retell and rehearse and recount. And you begin to recount. And something almost happens in our posture at that moment. It's like, oh, that's right. He's always been faithful, hasn't he? Yeah, he, he really has. It's always different than we think. But, but he's always been faithful. David here in past deliverances, he's recounting them. And he, you know what he's doing? And this is a great discipline. He pulls the past deliverances into the present. He pulls the past deliverances into the present. He lets his heart hear of the deliverances of the past in the present. And it strengthens his soul. It relieves him. It relieves him of anxiety. It relieves him of worry. It relieves him of, of fear. You see, this is what David begins to do, and because he's actually in the midst of a struggle. Look at verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. He's crying out to the Lord again. Verse 9, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Verse 12, give me not up to the will of my adversaries. He's in the midst of the throes of something. In fact, scholars argue that the first six verses of Psalm 27 are almost a complete hymn of trust and then in verse 7 to the end it begins to feel like a lament It begins to feel like a plea for urgent prayer and and what you begin to see is that there's a settled place in david and there's a present pleading place in david that he's alive to the reality of the fears he's not neglecting them or stuffing them he's not ignoring them like they're not there he's bringing them to the lord in the light of god's past deliverances and what you love about this with David is he, as he goes back to the past deliverances and brings them to the present. Then you know what? He has foresight to look to the future. Look at where he goes in verse 13. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, this verse, David is saying, okay, Lord, I've got adversaries all around me. I've got armies encamped around me. Um, my life is hanging in the balance. I look back, look at how faithful you've been. Yes, I'm worried, but I'm bringing it to you and I'm looking back, you've always been faithful. I have evidence of the fact that you take care of your own. You've taken care of me. I have confidence that you can do this. And then as I look to the future, you know what now I can do? There will be a day, God, I know, regardless of what happens in this situation, there will be a day when I will look upon you And I will see your goodness in the land of the living. Now, we could literally translate this. I will look at your goodness and I will see all of its bright designs. I will see it. One day I will see it. The things that are mysteries to you now as to why you've walked through the things that you've walked through and the pain that you're dealing with and why God hasn't responded in certain ways that you thought to. True faith and trust be able to say because of what you've done in the past, And because I've learned how to urgent plea with you based upon your faithfulness, I can look to the future and I know one day there will be resolution to this. What feels like dissonance to me right now, I have confidence that when I look upon you one day, it won't be anger, it won't be frustration, I won't see injustice or unrighteousness. What I will see is the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, it's really important that you understand what David is saying here. That little phrase, in the land of the living, David is indicating that he thinks that he will not die. Now, I I just want you to know, David died. Okay, he, he, he died. You can read about it. We have his last words, and he died. So what in the world is David saying? David is saying his hope is so certain. And the beauty of the Lord is so glorious to him that he has confidence that even when he dies, he doesn't die. That there is hope. There is everlasting life. There is a day when he will behold the glory of the God of one thing that he asked. The one face that he sought. Lord, I seek your face. When I see that face in that day, I will get the one thing I packed for the journey. The one thing I ever wanted on this journey was to dwell in the house of the Lord and to gaze upon His beauty, to inquire in His temple, to go deeper and deeper and deeper in my knowledge of Him, in my love for Him, in my intimacy with Him. The one thing I've sought after. You see, David traveled really light He had the easy and the light yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was able to carry it because Jesus carried the other burdens for him. You see, Jesus carries the other burdens for you. He takes our load upon himself. And he gives us his light and easy yoke. And you say, well, how did he do that? Well, most notably is when he went to the cross. You see, Jesus is in this psalm. Jesus is really the one who had armies encamped around him, who had enemies that assailed him. He's, he is literally the one in here who sought the face of the Lord, but the Lord actually removed his face from Christ. And Christ received all the uncertainty and the fragility of our lives being poured out upon him, even our sin and our destruction. Why? So that we would not have to. So that we could experience the joy of God. Do you see this glorious psalm, this Psalm 27. It teaches us we have many, many reasons to trust in the Lord, but the main reason and the primary reason to trust in the Lord is because God in Christ Jesus has shown us that if He is willing to give His only Son, the most precious thing in His eyes, for us, then He will ensure that we make it into His presence. Every single step of the way, he will confirm his promises to us. If he's given us the greatest, how will he not also with him freely give us all things, Paul says. Seek first his kingdom, right? And all these things will be added unto you. As we seek the Lord, as we ask that one thing of the Lord, he leads us in confession of, Ridding ourselves of false burdens. Letting God carry what God carries. You know what? You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. No one has ever known what's going to happen tomorrow. And it's not going to help to worry about it. Or to become fearful about it. But God is there. In the now of tomorrow. And He will be there in the now of eternity. And He will bring us through because He's given us the greatest gift ever. And by His Spirit, we'll get there. So let's pray to that end. Father in heaven, we ask that we would learn this lesson of trust. That you would teach us of the things that we're so afraid of, we can't control, and of which, Lord, in the end, have very little significance in many cases with regards to eternal import. So Lord, forgive us for that. And today, as you've been meeting with us and you've been instructing us from your word, we pray that you'd lift us up, you'd show us Jesus, and that we'd be able to say with integrity, verse 4, one thing I've asked of you, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So Father, we want to dwell with you. So give us your beauty as we inquire in your temple. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.